welcome back to Pierre Pressure Podcast. My name is Pierre Pressure. That's not my real name. My real name is Pierre de Gaillande. That's how you say it in French. Or Pierre de Gaillande. Or Pierre de Gaillande. However you want to say it, this is my podcast. Thank you for listening. I hope you've been enjoying previous episodes and you'll continue to enjoy. At the time that I'm recording this, we're about a month away from the midterm elections here in the divided states of America. And people really, really, really need to vote. This is very, very important. If you're a Democrat, go out there and vote. If you're a Republican, um, we should talk because I think there might be something wrong with your brain. But if you're a Democrat, please go out and vote. We need to fix this insanity that's going on in America right now. The immediate goal is to get as many Democrats in control of the House and the Senate so that we can restore some accountability to our governmental process, gubernatorial process. What I mean by that is that there is an entire branch of government right now, the legislative branch, whose job is to keep a check on the other two, the executive and the judicial, and they're not doing that job because we have a president who continues to get caught up in all kinds of corruption, clearly favors only one part of the population, the part that voted for him, which is a very tiny part, but he's actually not really favoring them. He's actually favoring the rich donors who stand to gain from all his policies and are shoveling as much money into their pockets as they possibly can. So the legislative branch, which is made up of Democrats and Republicans, is there to keep a check on the other two branches. They're not doing that. They are rolling over and letting him do whatever he needs to do so that they can get a Supreme Court judge in power and I guess overturn Roe v. Wade. I'm not exactly sure what their overall big master plan is and why they would uh, forfeit their morality for someone that they all know is clearly corrupt and incompetent. So we need to fix this and the best way is to sweep out the legislative branch of these people who have failed to do their job, which happen to be Republicans. I'm not saying Democrats are perfect or that it's my party of choice. I would prefer a multi-party system like they have in European countries so that everyone's voice could actually be heard. But this is the system we have. It's massively broken. But on November 6th, we, the people, you and me and all the people we know who are eligible to vote can actually do something about it. And this election coming up is, I think, probably one of our last chances of really shifting the balance of power back into the hands of the people. So vote for the candidates you like. Vote for people you believe in. All candidates are different. If you're cynical and you think voting doesn't do any good and maybe the Russians are going to take over our ballot boxes anyway and so it doesn't matter, how about trying this? Try voting. See how it feels. See what happens. A lot of people who listen to this podcast work in the production world or are musicians. And they travel a lot, myself included. If you're not going to be here on November 6th, make a plan right now. Register for an absentee ballot. It's really easy. Make a plan. Get an absentee ballot. Vote early. I don't know why in this country we make it so hard to vote. It should be the easiest thing in the world. Everyone should vote except for Republicans. So please vote on November 6th or before if you're a Democrat. If you're a Republican, you can email me with angry comments and I will try to change your mind because I don't understand how you can support these people. 
we don't just need to win. We need to route, trounce, own, and dilapidate the other side because they are not doing their job and they need to be kicked out. Okay, so do you guys understand where I'm coming from with this? Anyway, this is a nonpartisan open forum for discussion. My guest on today's episode is Dylan Nowick. He is a talented musician, singer, composer. He's also a sound designer. He's a guitar player, piano player, multi-instrumentalist, super creative dude, does lots of interesting stuff. I've known Dylan for a few years. He was introduced to me through a friend. We played music together. We worked together. I've always enjoyed his very thoughtful and chilled out energy. So this was my conversation with Dylan. We had a really good time. We talked about the Virgin Mary, uh, what the world would look like without humans, uh, protest music, and he played two really beautiful songs. So I hope you enjoy my conversation with Dylan Nowick on PL Pressure Podcast. Oh yeah, let's start off with some chimes. That was accidental. That was good. Hi Dylan, how you doing? Hey Pierre, thanks so much for having me on your show, and I'm I'm good. Feeling any PR pressure? Whoa, that's right. That is the name of the show. Um, well, now I am. Now okay. The chimes are ringing. Yeah. I want to f- just get kind of a background of your musical history. So, when did you first start playing an instrument? Um, when I was pretty young, when I was like three or four, I started playing the violin, and I was. It was like it was the Suzuki method. I was trained under the Suzuki method, which. Uh, really emphasizes playing music by ear. So I think that like from an early age set me up to want to do both most of my music by ear as opposed to reading and writing it. So Suzuki method at age three, violin. Did you have like um, very intense parents who wanted you to be a prodigy? Uh, not, no, not at all, actually. Um, I do have this like early memory though of um, my sister had already played violin and one day, like very not, I think it was like pretty nonchalantly, I went up to my mom um, and I was like a little kid and I was like, hey, can I take violin lessons too? You know, as if a kid would ask for anything else, like, hey, can we get cookies at the store? And it didn't mean much to me, but my mom really like lit up and was like, yeah, absolutely. Like, and, she, and I remember her like calling the violin teacher right then. And I wonder if that had one of those, um, you know, like um, Pavlovian reactions of like, Oh, um, I, I, I say this and my mom is yeah, happy. I mentioned music and good things happen. So oh, yeah. who knows? Who knows? But That's um, great. no, I don't think my parents were too intense about it. But um, the violin teacher was uh, was pretty intense. Mrs. Shad, she was like she had kind of like a nun's mentality, you know, of like you practice, you practice or else you get wrapped on the knuckles. Kind of, except there was absolutely no physical abuse. So I'm not not slandering anyone. Would you be better a better musician if she had abused you physically? Maybe. I mean, I don't know. I do. I do. I'm thankful for her. I ran. In, I ran into her years later, and I gave her a big thank you. So yeah. that's awesome. That's yeah. really great. Yeah, that's a good. And so then the violin was the first thing, and that went until when? Violin was the first thing. I probably played that up to like the fourth grade or something like that, and then I like. I took up the saxophone in school band briefly, but it, it just didn't it didn't hit me at the right time, and I wasn't really all about it. Um, and then somewhere, I think maybe slightly overlapping the saxophone, or right after I quit the school band. No, it was it was overlapping. 
I picked up the guitar and just started noodling with it, you know, took your classic. And this is at what age? I think I started playing guitar at the age of 10, I think. Started noodling by myself and then uh, took the classic, like, you know, towny guitar lessons where you, like, learn Hey Joe and stuff like that. And I think I did that for, like, a year. What town? Rhinebeck. Okay. Growing up in Rhinebeck. That yeah. was where I lived my whole childhood. Um, Rhinebeck, New York. And, uh, yeah, I did that for, like, a year. And that's kind of, like, the, the training of my of my formal music. So you're, So you switched to guitar around 10, you said? Yeah, about 10 I started playing guitar. Did you, um, when did you ever get it into your head to try to write a song? Um, Do you remember your first song? I feel like it was around, uh, it was around the age of like 12 or 13 that I felt like I had really written a song. You know, I started playing guitar and I came up with, you know, a couple notes that strung together. So those are like, that's like the seed of a song, but... I think I think writing a full song really happened in conjunction with uh, recording a song. You know, I kind of always treated a song as completed once it was like recorded, and I think I really am like a a recordist. That's when did a, you start recording stuff? Um, I remember like when I was. It kind of all coincided with everything. Like at the age of you know eight or nine, there was that like free program on Windows computers. Um, it was just called Sound Recorder, I think. Okay. It was like a one track, um, you couldn't multi-track. Although I kind of figured out how to multi-track by like opening to instances of the program, wow. and, like, you know, playing it back through the speakers and like crappily, um, uh, you know, recording it into itself. Oh my God, and, like, that's like the, that's like your generation's answer to, to two stereos like yeah. what we used to call ghetto blasters which is not a cool thing to say anymore but like you have one you record and then you play yeah. and then you record on that that's what i did that same was my concept. first same concept but and that the is, computer generation and that is how multi-track recording started les paul and mary ford did the first multi-track recording um really? the, the guy who invented the gibson les paul yeah, yeah uh was the first one to multi-track a song i think it was how high the moon wow and he did pretty much the same thing just like played it into a speaker and looped yeah. it looped it looped it yeah so yeah fun fact so you're doing that with your apple hacked apple program at age eight or nine what was the first song do you remember no we're talking like compact com windows computer pre pre-mac pre, oh, okay. pre fancy stuff first song I remember I record the first song I remember recording and I like considered it like completed with some like instruments and stuff was called November Breeze. Ooh. Yeah. What was that about? Um, I think it was just about like being twelve or thirteen and like starting to have like moody puberty feelings <laughs> and being like, Man, the seasons are changing. It makes me feel things, you know? <laughs> Which is like a thing that happens, you know? Wow. Seasons change and you feel things. But I remember like, you know, 12 years old like raking the leaves and just having you know so cool so you you put down your prepubescent feelings in, in on a computer track at age 12 that's pretty great that's and, and away that. you go and songwriting and yeah. yeah and did you start bands around that time like when did you yeah i had a buddy in um in like middle school who we were we were pretty musically aligned and the two of us I uh, kind of got into writing and recording at the same time. Yeah, around, you know, 13, 14 years old, we started, like, getting serious about it. And uh, incidentally, he is now in the band that I that I play in now called Steady Sun. Um, he wasn't for years, and he and he joined kind of in, 
like in the last year or so. Um, so yeah, kicked it off, kicked it off at 12 and 13. Steady Sun you kicked off at 12 and 13? No, no. I've, originally those projects, we had really funny, dumb names, like the, the Quixotic Project. We okay. were into like big words. Yeah. We listened to the Decemberists and stuff like that. Yeah. Who's like all about, you know. Vocabulary. All about vocabulary. Yeah. I've gotten more into music since then. Less but, into vocabulary? A little less. In, I mean, I love words though. I love vocabulary. Yeah. Um, but I try to chill out a little bit in my songwriting. Like keep it to like five syllables <laughs> per word. Yeah, 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 yeah. That's a good rule of thumb, yeah. I think, to not, you know, right. seem like a douche. <laughs> What's the swearing on this show? Um, it's up to you. Okay, cool. Because I said crappily for the first time in I, ever. Crappily? A minute, a minute ago instead of, <laughs> instead of like shittily. Anyway. <laughs> So you started the Quixotic Project and other projects playing guitar or playing other instruments? Like you also play piano and you play yeah. drums? Yeah, I think like um, for a long time guitar was definitely the main instrument, but like I kind of started playing drums at almost the exact same time. So at this point I feel like um, the drums and the guitars are both kind of, you know, primary instruments. I started playing piano and keys around the same time, but um, I would consider myself like a like more of a producer when I use the keyboards. Like I right. couldn't, I couldn't, couldn't per play like Debussy pieces, um, except for like the little passages I've spent like all day trying to work out. But mostly, you know, I can't, you know, I can't read music and play like beautiful classical pieces, but I use it to record and write very specific parts, you know, so. What other bands were kind of like uh, guiding you as far as songwriting or influence? Mm. I mean, like, I don't know, it was like in like the seventh grade, like the White Stripes, I discovered them, you know, and um, that was, I feel like that was like the first band I got into that um, I guess I'm still, like I still like respect musically, you mm -hmm. know, um, and then, you know, in middle school, it was like the the fuzz folky, like Neutral Milk Hotel, Decemberists, um, but also bands like the Mars Volta, you mm -hmm. know, if you know those guys. Yeah. That, those were like age 13, 14 stuff. And then I don't know where it went from there. You know, I got into like the, you know, in early college, got into all the the indie stuff, the Grizzly Bears and the all that. And, you know, like Tame Impala definitely was a big influence in the last like couple records and the psychedelic stuff. So, yeah. But it's everywhere. You know, it's also like I love, you know, Brazilian music and I love Afrobeat and classical solo piano and yeah you know, it's all over the place so the steady sun stuff that you've recorded two albums three albums, three albums now, but yeah. two of them are out and one is not yet out is that correct all three are out. oh okay baby. it's yeah. really cool stuff Thanks, i love man. it and it, and you can hear some of those influences you've talked about really sonically um widespread and there's a lot of colors and a lot of textures going on and super cool melodies and it's Thanks. just great stuff. Thanks, man. And um, which actually brings me to another thing. You you do sound design for films. How'd yeah. you get into that? Yeah. Um, I so I got into like composing first for film. You know, doing the music side of it. Um, I uh, you know I met. I was going to studying music at NYU, and I met all the NYU film kids. So it was like a natural thing where they were like, "Oh, you make music. Can you do it for film?" And I realized, like, I was actually really, like, specifically passionate about that, actually. How cool it is to, you know, 
how sound can can color the attitude and the mood of film. I was asked to do a job and I like sweated out for a few days, but I was like, I can do this. I, I think I can do this, you know? And then after I did one job, I was just like, well, I'm a sound designer now. And then many years later, I've continued to practice my craft. And, and I think it all makes its way into music too. Right. Like, I think it's... um. I think it's awesome weaving in like found sounds and soundscape into um, into like albums. Like I love albums where you know a track ends and the music fades out, and then there's this kind of sound collage. You know, whether it's like birds chirping or something. You know, any sort of thing that can kind of like just like messes with your mood. You know, like you're if you're like in the city on the subway and you just hear you know, an open field of like crickets and, you know, it, I think it messes with your brain. Like, Absolutely. And it may be cool. It's way. good for you. Remember, do you, did you ever listen to the band Quasi? I know of Quasi. So uh, it's, I um, really know them. they had an album called Featuring Birds. That was the name of the album mm-hmm. and it had birds just chirping. Love it. Like the last track I think was just birds. It was so, so literally peaceful. featuring birds. Yeah. It was <laughs> and we recorded an album here that you helped me engineer. I was just thinking of that when you said Hillary that. Downs's record, and it, it and because we were were in the forest, uh, surrounded by birds, some birds made their way onto the onto the track. They did, and, and I the think name she named. That's right. And the name of the project was Secrets of Birds. Right, it all magically weaves together. Yeah, I love it. I was just as soon as you said featuring birds, I was like, and we are sitting in the very hallowed ground that the Secrets of Birds records was recorded. That's so, right. That was cool. Yeah. Really fun. So how about you play a song? Sounds good. What um, song are you going to play? This first song is a steady... I think I'll do two songs. The first one is um, is a Steady Sun song that's out called Television Eyes uh, or, or TV Eyes for the, for the real fans. All right. So let's hear Television Eyes.
So tell me about that song, Television Eyes. What, what's the significance of it for you? Does it have any political significance? Um, I, don't, I don't know if it has political significance. Um, I feel like I recorded it at a time when I was, like, I was pretty stressed out. I was, I was about to move upstate from the city, and I was just like not sure of my place and everything. And I think a lot of my music is like... Um, kind of escapist I guess it definitely takes you on it into a beautiful place it's very thanks it's relaxing like and I, I started writing beautiful. it and I did have this idea of this like yeah this like television headed like you know just like eyes of static and like these like sort of drone I, I guess maybe I like I felt like a like a drone person you know I felt like I was just like carrying out my my motions like this kind of robotic thing and yet that and so maybe that was part of the mentality you know just like i have these like television eyes that are just like yeah i don't know okay i really can't i can't say it was it kind of came from the subconscious um but the music video which is not out yet but it's going to come out really soon um i think does have a have a political or environmental lean um, I'm really excited to release it. So that should be out probably shortly after this podcast is Can out. Can you talk about it? It's, um, well, my, my very good, good, good best friend, uh, Caleb, um, who used to be the keyboardist in Steady Sun, actually, is an incredible filmmaker. And uh, he shot it all in, like, the desert just east of L.A. So it's got this very... Um, post-apocalyptic feel of this like it's this television headed creature just kind of walking through the ruins and i think it's kind of implied that um that we're in the world after after the world was destroyed so that's do you think the world's gonna be destroyed um, i don't know like like no i don't i mean maybe for humans but that doesn't mean the world's destroyed right. you know right. that's that gives me comfort too it's like yeah we're fucking everything up but like and yeah we're gonna kill a lot of species but like once the humans kill kill off ourselves, the earth will right itself. You know yeah. what I mean? There'll be just like foliage growing out of the street cracks in, in a year and in, in 10 years. I don't know. Maybe that's optimistic or something. But I'm just like, you know, we're going to blow it. But <laughs> I've never heard like the total destruction of the human race be called optimistic. But I, I hear where you're going with that. I don't know. I mean, <laughs> probably from the earth's perspective, that'd be, sure. that'd be pretty good, right? Yeah. Yeah, it's different when you have kids. I know it's a cliche, but you kind of want the earth to stick around for a while until they're long gone. That's interesting. That makes sense. Yeah. You know, but then, yeah. again, but then again, I completely agree with you. And there's this amazing book I, I read called the, the, the World Without Us. And it, it explores exactly how long it would take for 
nature to retake the earth after human beings are gone. That's super and interesting. It's so it's just so much fun to read because it's I, exactly what you're talking yeah, about. Yeah, I think what I just said about yeah. about that is based off of like a couple people telling me really interesting things yeah. like that. So I should like read. how quickly a house gets totally uh, crumbled by nature. Like when you know a window breaks and the and the rain comes in and then some birds come in and then seeds and blah 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 and grass grows and like a house just doesn't take that long to get completely. Yeah. destroyed once there's no humans around what's the book called the world without us i highly recommend it yeah. i forget the name of the author but cool it's yeah really i love that peer pressure podcast is brought to you by a donkey have you do you have any bands that you or songs that you heard at some point that made you think about things political since that's what the subject is of this little endeavor here let me think about that um Songs that really motivated me. you or made you think about something political. The best examples I can think of are just songs that really like glorify the notion of freedom, which is like such an abstract feeling. Um, and it's not, you know, it's not like topical. Um, but like, like, I just thought of like the cream song, like I feel free I like that and just song. like, I don't know just how music can be uplifting and I think well some examples of it don't directly influence your politics they do like kind of shape your worldview of like hey we can actually transcend beyond like the banal bullshit and um yeah find something greater to like reach towards and um so that's a very loose example a specific example I can think of is um the Bob Dylan song, The Lonesome Death of Hattie Carroll. Do you know that song? It's a long story song. I can't quite re- yeah, remember it's, what it's it a, is exactly. The, the first lyric is, William Zanzinger oh, yeah. killed poor Hattie Carroll. And I think the idea of it was like, he was a um, he a plantation owner, you know, like post-slavery. But um, it was I think he was from the South and he was a plantation owner. And he had a... Uh, a woman, uh, an African-American woman working for him and he was just an abusive, shitty person and he like clocked her on the head with his cane. The plantation owner did? Yeah, for doing... In real, this is real? This yeah. actually happened? Yes. Yeah. I don't know if his name is actually William Zanzinger. It, it, yeah. it might be. It might be though. And he, bottom, like end of the story is that like she died from, I think complications related to that and he got off with like nothing, you know? So it was just a classic example of, you know, and he, Bob Dylan sings ironically. He's like, oh, the ladder of law has no top and no bottom, you know? Like, whereas, and in fact, like it is, it's totally hierarchical. Right. Um, and I, then I remember, you know, all the Zimmerman stuff happened, you know, with... Um, What's the Zimmerman stuff? With what, what Trayvon Martin. You remember when Trayvon Martin was a... Uh, was killed by his first name is George I think George Zimmerman he was basically like yeah he killed this hooded black kid you know and um, it just reminds literally like the song lyrics could have been swapped out with like instead of William Zanzinger killed poor Hattie Carroll it was like you know George Zimmerman killed poor Trayvon Martin you know wow and I almost like thought about re-recording it as such but I don't know why sometimes like like I, I am super political and I am, uh, I think I'm like relatively politically outspoken, but sometimes I do separate the actual art I make 
from very direct politics not because i don't want to be like implicated as like having a worldview which i because i I do have very specific worldviews sometimes but almost because of what i said about like the cream thing it's like sometimes i feel it's just more powerful to like present an abstract concept which like can even be like a chord change you know like can even be like a string of chords together that like hey this makes me feel things yeah maybe i can reflect on this emotion i'm feeling and maybe if i'm open with my emotions i can also be open with my um yeah, yeah my i i know what you mean opinion toward politics and that sort of stuff so, yeah but but then you but so then you you just named like one of the most specifically like political or a very specifically political song, but that's, that, that yeah. doesn't seem like something you would I think I was, do. I was trying to give a good, good example. No, I love that. Yeah. So I, I just recorded a song, a Bob Dylan song, and I translated it into French. It's um, Masters of War. Because it's also Masters one of those of songs where he's just telling it. But yeah. Bob Dylan would probably agree with you where he was so annoyed to be used as a spokesman for any kind of cause after, you know, in the 60s. He just wanted to make songs that, but then he did, he did write these songs. Then they were picked up by the counterculture and then they were used as he was like picked up as a spokesman for, you know, a cause. So I I hear like the other part of what you're saying, which is that music just makes you feel things on a totally nonverbal level, like, and just makes you, a really good song could just make you a better person, make you stop being an asshole. I like kind of think so. I think like (laughs) a really good song can make you kind of stop being an asshole. Yeah, Um, that's the hope. Also, what I will say though is like, I'm not, like, against topical music, you know? Like, I, I actually love Bob Dylan. He's, like, you know, he's important to me, and his lyricism is amazing. And his topical stuff is moving me. I just don't necessarily think it's, like, my niche as an artist yeah. to directly, you know. Um, so I was... I'm Dylan. Bob Dylan is also Dylan. The third Dylan that... But he's is, Robert Zimmerman. He is Robert Zimmerman. Right, which be, is the other part to, of the... To be fair. But that's... And the guy you were just talking about is a Zimmerman, right? The guy who yeah, shot... Yeah, yeah. The cop. Isn't that crazy? Whoa, yeah. good point, good point, good point. Yeah. <laughs> um, then there's Dylan Thomas, though, which kind of relates in with what we were talking about. The poet, who I was like maybe kind of partially named after, who... I just read a quote by him, or it, like to paraphrase, he, he basically just said like never reveal the whole thing Mm -hmm. that was his kind of just like part of his like artistic philosophy that's a pretty key concept in poetry yeah something yeah like if you leave yeah if you don't reveal the full thing then the audience can kind of fill fill in the blanks and and i think so i think that's part of my artistic process that's also definitely a thing about music yeah i think so and lyric writing yeah, leave a little for the audience to cause people, piece together. People's minds are powerful things, and they can they can fill it in. Let's hear the second song. Cool. So this one, I think I already I already said, but yeah, this one is tentatively called Mary, and it's a it's a work in progress. So let's see if I can get through it and remember all the lyrics and chords. Sound of 
Great job. You got through it with remembering all the lyrics and chords, as far as I know, because nobody knows what the lyrics and chords are supposed to be. (laughs) Maybe, you know, not to like, you know, show the full thing, as you know, I mentioned, but um, maybe a few messed up chords, because normally I like look at my hands as, you know, as I'm writing the song. But that was the first time that I had to like focus on the microphone and not look down. So anyway, you know, not to not not into disclaimers, so. So I've been to your house and I saw a statue of the Virgin Mary, like up above your, in the woods near your house, kind of looking down menacingly upon, does that have, I'm going to guess, does that have something to do with the song? You nailed it. All right. Um, Yeah, I live on, um, I think I told you, but the plot of land I now live on is, used to be a Christian summer camp uh, in the 50s. Um, big, big old plot of land and there's, yeah, there are like Jesus and Mary statues strewn about everywhere. Kind of like peeking out of the weeds. It's not creepy at all. (laughs) (laughs) I don't know if you're kidding or not, but it's definitely kind of creepy. Sometimes it's like a little The Shining, but also a little like how I picture like a, like a Shaolin monastery. I don't know, but but the Christian version of it. So I don't know. It's definitely like I've lived there for a year now. And, um, yeah, I've also like always been kind of a religious outsider, like not, not raised too specifically, um, religiously. So the, you know, the kind of cultural artifacts like Jesus and Mary statues have always kind of interested me almost in the same way that I think a lot of like Westerners right now are like super fascinated by like Hindu art and Mm -hmm. that sort of stuff. Um, for me, it's all like, I love just kind of taking it all in and. Um, yeah, so that kind of had to do with the writing of that song. So Mary is helping you, is is sort of a muse or something in that song? Or? Yeah, I mean, I think so. Yeah, there's this one Mary statue on my property, and it's in this like gorgeous, scenic field. And it's like so beautiful that it's almost, it's almost like unsettling, kind of. It like... It feels pretty dreamlike and almost like at any moment, like I could like this dream could go weird, you know, Yeah. Just seeing these like these statues just like staring at you. So that song was kind of, yeah, kind of written like directly like to the statue, like me sitting in my yard and just like, 
Yeah, I don't know. That's what happens when you live in the woods and you're not around people. You write songs to statues. <laughs> I can dig that. <laughs> so, um, again, I don't think that's like an overtly political song. It's just kind of something that uh, resonates for you. Um, but you did use, you know, religious imagery in it. Yeah, um, and that's an interesting thing. Yeah, I mean, like, I think like a lot of... Um, people in our I don't know if I'm generalizing but I feel like a lot of people in this generation particularly like kind of left-leaning people um uh do have a kind of like bad taste in their mouth just about like Christianity as a whole and as an example and like you know for a lot of reasons I do too there's there's a ton of hypocrisy and historically a lot of terrible shit has happened in the name of God across pretty much every organized religion but that said there's also so much beautiful art that has come from it um a lot of really great lessons too if you can be the type of person who can separate like what's supposed to be a simple lesson from like a i don't know like the other cultural and religious baggage that religious religions have you know that have to do with like power structures and the ruling class right it's a it's a heavy it's a pithy subject yeah i know there's no but i mean i think if you had if we had to like (laughs) boil it down it's like it's like when people are into the grateful dead and it's the only band they can listen to. I like the Grateful Dead. Yeah, I like them a lot. Such you know, example, I yeah. like them a lot. They're great. I really do love the Grateful Dead. There's, they have some songs that I absolutely or like adore. Bob, or like Bob Marley. Or Bob Marley. But yeah. there's so much more out there. And it's the same for any staunch uh, fundamentalist religion. It's like, cool, Those that philosophy is great. That stuff you're into, you believe in, that part of the book or whatever is great. And then there's all this other stuff. And there's all these other books. And there's thousands of years of phil- philosophical uh you know yeah, dealings but that's because i don't believe that the lord reached down with a finger and wrote that book Uh-oh. if you believe yeah. that are you a heretic is that the word heretic, <laughs> heretic. <laughs> sorry um if you yeah, believe no. that then it's all bets are off because I'm, yeah, no i'm all with that man pick and choose i think yeah. i think if like as like the most simple framework if you can just like question everything and just see what works for you and what works for yeah, everyone else. Um, then philosophy and religion can offer something. I'd say like I'd say re- religion for me has most specifically offered like um, like I've been interested from a cultural standpoint. Yeah, more so than a than a moral or philosophical standpoint. So um, I'm going to shift gears and say get get into some politics. If you yeah. you've traveled a bit. You've traveled outside of the United States. Are there other countries that you think might be doing things that we can learn from politically, have things to teach the United States? I mean... Negative or positive? That universal health care up in Canada seems pretty awesome. Right. I'm, I'm all for that, 100%. And, uh, you know, I keep hearing time and time again, too, that, like... Um, it's like a myth that people are like, yeah, well, they have healthcare up in Canada, but it's it's terrible. And, you know, it's like from every Canadian I've spoken to, it seems pretty not terrible. <laughs> it seems like a pretty great solution that 
um, the Canadians are totally happy with. You definitely save a lot of money by not paying health insurance every month. Yeah. I remember being like just out of college and having no health care and just being so freaked out and having no prospect of health care. Yeah. And just wishing that I, I actually traveled to France one time to get a to get a surgical procedure done because I could, it was cheaper for me to f- buy an airplane ticket than it would have been to Whoa. do it. You know, and I forget. Do you have dual citizenship? I do. I have French citizenship cool. and, so and since, American. So since you had that citizenship, you were able to. Yeah. yeah. So I mean, that's just a personal, you know, anecdote of how it was beneficial to me. But Pierre Pressure Podcast is brought to you by blankets. Whether it's Michael Jackson's baby or just keeping warm at night, blankets. What's patriotism? Do you consider yourself a patriot? Um, the first, the first thing I wanted to say is patriotism is bullshit, but that's like a, that's a, a ignorant angsty answer to it. Um, interesting. I just, I, I don't know. I just really do have a huge issue with nationalism and and tribalism. Yeah. Um, and I feel like nationalism is just like being obsessed with a sports team um, so that was my like angry immediate answer to that, but I want to try to like play devil's advocate with myself and like, I don't know, I guess like having a sense of community is actually very important. I think, I think community is important to all people. So in a sense, I would say patriotism can also be a sense, yeah, just like feeling a sense of community and... Um, yeah, just believing in, I guess, your, your cause, but, you know, I wanted to take back the term patriot, like take the flag back and have it be sort of like a thing that left leaning people could, you know, embrace. And so I got this button that said, I'm a patriot. And then I was wearing it. And this friend of mine, who's a musician was like, he's actually happens to be French. And he was like, patriot, really? You're a patriot. He said, that comes from the patriarchy. Like that word means the fatherland. And I had never <laughs> thought of it that way. I also have never. Isn't that crazy? That so patriot yeah. is all about the patriarchy. It's all about Potter, you know, the father. So it's all about men. Yeah. So also maybe about, I'm a matriot. Yeah. Right on. Right on. Let's be matriots. <laughs> yeah. Let's be yeah, matriots. I guess this is like the, so even an added reason to dislike the notion of patriotism. <laughs> but I don't know. Like that's. And, but I'm not saying that. Like you know, fuck America. Because everyone I know and love pretty much lives in America, and that's part of America, and um, it needs to be fixed. Though it's in a pretty, it's in deep doo doo, as I say to my kids. Absolutely, right now. Yeah, um, yeah. It's it's just such a huge, such a huge conversation and issue <laughs> because yeah, like politically, you know, I can't, you know turn on my phone without finding something new to be disgusted by um i'm also really happy that people are it seems like people are engaging in like local politics more now than any other time in my life at least um and i i don't know if i believe in the rubber band effect but i certainly hope that that is a thing where we had Barack Obama, which, um, you know, we all know he wasn't perfect and yeah, isn't without his flaws, but there are undeniably many aspects, um, 
where things were in a pretty progressive, solid direction. I mean, in the in the most simple sense, people were happy. Like <laughs> coming back to music. Think about the music that was made in like 2001 and 2002. I think 9/11 had a lot to do with the um, with the cultural shift um, in art. I think that there's a reason that you know music was very aggressive and angsty from from like screamo music to like the hip hop being made there compare that with like 2010 like Pharrell's like I feel happy you know <laughs> I don't think that's accidental and I think I think politics and art are so inextricably interwoven anyway. so that's why nowadays now that's why I'm kind of why I'm doing this because I want to see if people are taking this opportunity not just to um talk about politics but maybe make some music or make some art that you know engages it and touches it and everyone has their own way of doing that and some people are just retreating into the wonderland of the forest which i'm doing as well but yeah then there's also literally and then like the bigger question is can music ever change anyone's mind like you were saying a nice happy song or a nice a beautiful song can make somebody maybe not be so much of an asshole song can change the world man no i think it's i don't know it's not it's just not black and white but yeah i think everything kind of kind of happens in in concert you know um no pun intended (laughs) protest music in the 60s as like maybe the most generic example like it arose from the political situation it then informed the political situation yeah and it's just i think it's like a they feed into one another. And I think there are artists now who are doing that again, and they're trying to kind of reignite that spirit. Not like, you know, we all know of like the cliche of like, you know, kumbaya and people like sitting around beating drums and like being protest music. And that's, that's only going to feed the cliche that, you know, we're a bunch of hippies trying to whatever check out. But there are songs, there are people really like turning heads with, by making statements that um i'm actually curious curious who do you have any examples because like i'm i'm not aware of like yeah like who is really making protest music in the way that um that it was made in you know in the 60s childish gambino (laughs) oh great example i mean i'm I'm trying to think yeah Yeah, that's pretty cool and um now that i said that i'm like okay i have to put Put up some examples. No, I mean, I can put up examples from the '90s. A million examples. Well, from yeah. Fugazi, Fugazi yeah, would be yeah. like number one. Uh, the Minutemen, uh, mm-hmm. Billy Bragg. Uh, what were they y- protesting against? What are the What are the Ronald hot Reagan? Yeah, yeah, <laughs> I mean, yeah, totally. well, that's the '80s, but yeah, yeah. I mean, Bush, like it was a Bush. mentality that they grew up with, so they have that. In well, them. also, just yeah. I mean, it, the same the same issues that we're dealing with now, but on kind of a smaller level because it wasn't as blatant, but just corruption and and um the neat trick of the right wing of getting people in lower income areas to vote against their best interest Mm -hmm. so that the rich just keep getting richer and income disparity just grows and grows and grows which is happening like unbelievably blatantly now and it's a really crazy trick of the right that they've managed to pull off and you know there are people who are poking at it all the time with music and stuff totally I, mean, I, I would gen- i would like to know more examples um and yeah and then again like protests. Katy perry man Katy perry yeah, she's she, woke is she the foremost socialist i think so 
Is she actually? Is she's she, apparently, she like a... she's really kind of making... Look, she was married to Russell Brand. That must have rubbed off in some she way. She was? Yeah, you didn't know that? I don't know anything, man. That's <laughs> funny. I didn't know that. Yeah, I mean, man. She, oh, she was married to Russell Brand. Yeah, she that had be, to rub off on her somehow. Must be a little bit astral. Or, I mean, and I mean, if they were a good match in the first place, I'm sure she was already in line, so... She so. was like a lapsed Christian, and then she married him, and then... Wow. I don't know. Shouts out to Katy Perry. I'm going <laughs> to look this up. So do you have any uh, gigs or records coming out or anything you want to talk about that you have coming up? Um, yeah, I've, um, so I've actually started a new group with, uh, with my partner, Elizabeth, um, uh, tentatively called Camp St. Helene, uh, named after the Christian summer camp we live on, Beautiful. um, that I've now mentioned, uh, that was what it was called back in the fifties. Um, we've got a few shows coming up, uh, toward the end of October, which I'll, I'll let the world know about, but. So that's happening. It's a very different sound from Steady Sun, I would say. Um, but I'm really excited to share it with people. Um, What's the sound of that project? What's it like? It's like, it's a little, sim- like, deliberately more simple, maybe. Um, and, like, it's got a little, like, it's, it's, like, dark, occult, like, dreamy music. It's, like, Mazzy Star meets, like, the... What are the instruments in the that? The Doors and Black Sabbath or something like oh, that. Oh, wow. It's, it's, it's a guitar-based drums thing, but also with, um, you know, there's definitely like some harmonium and some like drone music in it and uh, cool. the bells and the, you know, maybe a sitar will make its, make its appearance. Um, so, so Camp St. Helene's coming up. Um, and uh, there's Steady Sun stuff in the works too. Um, How can people find your stuff? People can find my stuff on Spotify. You can find Steady Sun, um, yeah, on Spotify on Bandcamp. What about um, your website? Yeah, you can check out my like composing and sound designing stuff at dylannowick.com. Um, and yeah, that's some of the some of the good action that's coming up. I want to ask you one last question: mm-hmm. If there was a worst outcome and a best outcome for the political situation we're in now, what do you think? How, how would you characterize that? Whoa, um, man! I so I'm so like <laughs> I so feel like I'm not the authority on answering these things, but I guess since I'm in the in the hot seat, I'll, yeah. I'll try to just PR pressure. Some, exactly. Yeah, good call. I'll just try to spit out my answer. So worst case scenario, um, well, I mean, yeah, worst case scenario is this becomes an authoritarian dictatorship, and Roe v. Wade is reversed, and um, um, we're controlled by Nazis. Yeah, it's pretty dark. Yeah, um, but I don't know if we're talking really worst case scenario, and yeah, we have a leader who's against the media and in favor of isolationism and all that. Like, it's at least the seed for something really, really bad. Mm-hmm. Um, best case scenario, this motherfucker gets impeached pretty soon. Yeah, and um. I mean, I guess we still have to deal with Pence, but mm-hmm. no, honestly, best case scenario is what I was going to continue with the rubber band effect notion that like we had Obama, um, flaws and all, he was like pretty solid for a lot of reasons. And then we've experienced the whiplash of that, which is Trump. So mm-hmm. my hope is that the rubber band effect happens again. Um, we get some, some real progressive action going and which I think is being stirred up in this country. And uh, the world is a much better place in four years. That's my, I guess that's my best case wishes. Maybe two years. 
Maybe one year. Yeah. <laughs> Maybe today some of my phone dings and, you know. <laughs> the cards of the house of cards has fallen. X, Y, Z. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Sounds good. All right. Thanks, Dylan. Thanks for submitting yourself to the pressure. Yeah. Thanks for having me. And, uh, you know, hopefully I wasn't too abstract or whatever. Or I don't know, man. Thanks just so much for having me. Um, it's my can pleasure. I, can I ring your uh, your chimes that are sitting? Yeah, ring the again? chimes. Right. Ring us out. Ready, people? Yep. Okay, I hope you enjoyed the conversation with Dylan Nowick. If you want more information about the podcast or about my musical projects, you can go to pierredeguyon.com. And stay tuned for the next episode. The guest is Jack Grace. This is Pierre signing off saying, Giscard d'Estaing.